0: Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know. And we'll catch you next time. Well, good morning. It's good to see you. After uh time we've had, just so you know, uh, March 14th, two, two weeks, I guess. Uh, we'll be uh, having our grand opening in the building. So we'll celebrate that here together. Yeah. So uh, be mindful of that and be praying about it because there's a few little things that have to happen, you know, for that. We're going to have a grand opening, whether it's a grand opening or not. And that is the 14th, okay? Uh, So you don't want to miss that. All right, so uh, we'll get back into our series Uh, That's uh, an elephant in the room that sort of morphed into really a spiritual formation series. What spirituality is, how to pursue it, Uh, and it it sort of took a direction I I, I didn't know it was going to take. What we said was spirituality is bringing the invisible into the visible. I mean, what God wants... uh, up there, his will and his ways, actually manifest themselves in my life by the way I live, so uh, in my physical life, my actual life. So my body plays a central role uh, in my spirituality. In fact, uh, you really can't be spiritual without it. That's why you'll always have one, even in eternity. Okay? Uh, Now, this takes effort, If your body's going to be involved, it's going to take effort. It's going to take practice. So that's the reason Paul uses the athlete metaphor in the New Testament uh, to teach us that you can and you must train yourself, train your body to execute spiritual things. Now, uh, the moment you you take the spiritual and you move it into the physical, we all know this, as soon as you bring your body into it, then all of the things that make the body function well come into play and you can't escape them. So if you came up to somebody and, uh, you know, somebody who said, I- I'd-, I'd like to be a great athlete, you don't tell that person, well, go pole vault 18 feet. And you certainly don't tell them, just go do a muscle up or uh, go run a sub four minute mile. Same with a great musician. You want to be a great musician? Uh, you don't say, well, just go play Beethoven's uh, violin concerto. You don't do that. What you say to those people, if you want to be a great athlete or a great artist, is go adopt the lifestyle that makes that possible. The overall rigorous, physical, and mental body and mind realities that make it happen that's what we talked about with legitimate pain um so my wife teaches violin to some junior high and senior high students and uh they'll either on zoom or come to the house so i'm usually i can hear you know conversations and what's going on there's great kids that she has and um the first question, always the first question, whether we're walking in or, you know, I, I, I get them in the house or I can hear it. first question on Zoom. This is it. Did you practice? That's the first question. And then it's followed up by two other questions. Always. How many times did you practice and how long did you practice? Because it will make a difference today. Uh, And if they did not welcome legitimate pain in their life during the week, I experienced illegitimate pain listening. (laughs) Okay, that's how it works. That's just physical reality. But it's true spiritually. If you want your body to function spiritually in your life, you got to train it to do that. So... um, One of my favorite authors says this. We intend what is right, but we avoid the life that would make it possible. We got a lot of big dreams in our heads, but none of us, but rarely do we actually adopt the lifestyle that would make that possible. Okay, well, we spent two weeks talking about that, so I don't want to say any more about what it means to welcome legitimate pain. I want to sort of transition to a place. I didn't know if I was going to go to this or not, uh, but I want to shift to the other side of that coin. Uh, You welcome legitimate pain in your life, but here's another thing that's spiritually important that you receive and celebrate legitimate pleasures. And there's a tension between those. You'll see it appear as we move along in this talk. And I'm going to say it takes a certain amount of maturity and accountability to live with that tension between pain and pleasure. They have to complement each other, as you'll see. And I want to say this to you. It's really important for you to know this. Christ makes both possible. Christ makes it possible for you to welcome legitimate pain. And Christ makes it possible for you to receive and celebrate legitimate pleasures. And without him, both of those get messy. And so we kind of need, we need community to help us keep straight on those. It's very easy to associate pain with spirituality. Spirituality. If it hurts, it going to. God probably likes that. That's how we feel. If it hurts, it's probably spiritual. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, like all habits, your spiritual habits should get easier. You know, all my kids struggled with their fingers hurting when they, uh, say all of them, two of them, struggled when they first started learning the guitar the fingertips hurt but over time that pain went away didn't hurt to pick up the guitar and play so the pain moved its way into a legitimate practice a legitimate ability that was easier now because i put the pain in so whatever hurts you in that regard ought to get easier i think this is what jesus had in mind when he said my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Really? Following you is easy? It's easy as it becomes a habit. It gets easier. Just like every other thing your body does. Every other habit your body has. Same spiritually. So you gain a proficiency once the habit has made you proficient, made you capable. Uh, Hopefully that's happening in your life. Is serving still that hard? Is forgiving people still overwhelming you? Is, is giving still just too big of a task? You're not disciplining yourself in that category then. Is a quiet time really that difficult to squeeze into your life? Not enough of a habit then. You haven't put the time in. Because it should be very natural to spend time alone with God. And if it's not, then if it's still painful, if it's not gotten easier to do that, then you haven't worked it. It's obedience, community, Sunday mornings, part of a routine and habit. You get up and do it. Pretty soon you don't even think about it. Even if you said to yourself, I'm staying home, your body got up and went. That's a habit. That's how it works. Now, in contrast to that, it's very hard to associate pleasure with spirituality even healthy ones, okay? And I mean healthy ones. So some of us have an aversion to pain. Uh, We can't endure anything. I mean, think about this past week, electricity going out and all this. You're like, oh my God. die! We just can't endure pain. And we certainly don't welcome pain into our lives and our habits. The ones we really ought to have, we don't do because they hurt. So we don't want to do them because they hurt. And the truth is, our lives have truly suffered because we haven't done it, because we didn't study, because we, never, because we always procrastinate, because we never get it done, because we, we don't have a rhythm for the things in our life that we ought to be doing. So we're always stressed and always pressed and never proficient. You suffer from it because you don't like pain. But the other thing is, is some of us have an aversion to pleasure feel guilty about enjoying things. And I will tell you that Satan messes with both of these in your life. Sin ruins both of these things. And and your life suffers because you don't enjoy certain things. Things you could be enjoying. Should be enjoying but you can't. So either one of these uh, are are spiritually unhealthy for you. If you can't endure pain and you can't enjoy pleasure, then there's going to be a problem somewhere in your life. That's why there's a tension, they go together. Uh, And they have to be, they have to live in tension and you have to seek them together. So in other words, if you don't have a daily dose of pain in your life that you choose, then it's really hard to enjoy the pleasures. You know how much pleasure is better after you've worked? You know, you always say, work, then what? Play's always better if you work. You always play, and you you don't really celebrate anymore. You become dull to it. So the two have to go together. Um, And neither one can be the goal. Like, pain's not the goal. And pleasure's not the goal. If you make it the goal, either one of those, you'll ruin your life. This is really important to hear for your spiritual life. How do I welcome pain without making pain the point? And how do I enjoy pleasure without making pleasure the point? Neither one of them can be terminal. They can't be the goal and the end of everything. They have to lead you beyond something else or you'll make one of those ultimate. And neither one of them can be. I'll tease that out for you. I think you'll understand what I mean by that here in a minute. But let me take you to a text in 1 Timothy. So I'm looking at this text this week before I put it up there. Uh, Paul is writing to Timothy, who's pastoring the church of Ephesus. He's a young man, and Paul has already started churches. He's already, I mean, he, he's coming back and writing letters to churches he's already started in the book of Acts. And so he's seasoned. He knows what these churches are going to deal with. And he tells Timothy, Timothy, I can tell you the kind of folks they are going to rise up in your church. You know, sometimes you'll have these people that come into your life and they're, and they're the part of yours. pleasure and they'll, they'll, they'll draw your people away to that. But a lot of times, Paul says, you'll get the guy that comes in that says, pleasure's bad. Nobody can have fun in here. And, you just, and all you want to do is have pain. The guy that's all pleasure or the guy that's all pain. And you read the New Testament you'll see Paul addressing both those issues constantly in the church because people spiritually get messed up on both of those. And so he tells Timothy, let me tell you what's going to happen. Uh, the Spirit has revealed to me That some are going to leave the faith. They're going to depart the faith. Uh, Deceitful teachers will come. Spirits, teachings, teachings of demons. Now think about this. They'll be insincere and they'll be liars and their consciences will be seared. And you're thinking to yourself, what are they going to do? You're like ready for a disco ball to drop and a party to break out. Right? That's not what happens. They forbid stuff they forbid stuff. Hey, marriage. Forbid marriage. And require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Take that in. These people are coming in and say you can't eat anything? And basically, it's sex and marriage. That's what they mean by forbid marriage. Because to not have sex is more spiritual. So anytime they're forbidding marriage, that's what it's about. Paul said, God's created these things. These are legitimate pleasures. But they didn't know how to enjoy them. They felt spiritual by not enjoying them. And so, Paul, for everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected, how far do I take that? If it's received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. This is a verse that essentially says you can eat anything you want. You're allowed to eat anything you want. That volcano chocolate thing you love. That, that erupts fudge. You're allowed to have that. It's not unspiritual to have that. Bacon. Bacon. uh name it you pray over it you receive it with thanksgiving you're allowed to have that not a sin to eat that and here's another beautiful thing how many of you feel guilty about food how, how, how many foods an issue every day you're like i don't know if i should have that i, I felt guilty because i had that i not i don't know if i ate enough i don't i think i ate too much how many do you deal with that every day in your life it's stressful food's very stressful here's what god says about the kind of foods It's made holy. Sex and food are made holy by the word of God and prayer. Sanctified. So if God's word is guiding your life and you're prayerful, you're communing with him, then the pleasures he's allowed you to have, you don't ever take them too far so you can enjoy them well because you don't take them too far. Take any of those too far, and they'll ruin you. But if you receive it with thanksgiving, then you know it's a gift, and it's not the ultimate thing. Somebody's the giver behind the gift, which means whatever the pleasure is, there's an ultimate behind it. I can't make the pleasure ultimate. If I do, it'll ruin me. Live for any pleasure, and it'll ruin you. Receive that pleasure from God, which means I've let the Word of God in communion with Him, I can enjoy that. I can enjoy dessert. If you like dessert, like I, don't, I, don't, I don't eat a lot of sweets. They're not my favorite place to get calories. I don't like calories from liquids, and I don't like calories from sweets. I prefer to have my calories from meat. All right? You find where you like your calories. That's fine. I'm not going to eat desserts just because I'm allowed to eat desserts, but if you're a dessert eater, then you ought to have them. But you can't have one at every meal, and you may not be able to have one every day, and you may not be able to have one every week. We're all different. But it's okay to enjoy it if you like it once in a while. In other words, as long as the You've welcomed pain into your life? Man, if you if you're if you're watching what you eat and you're careful, a dessert really is even more special, isn't it? When you get it. You have desserts all the time, they're not that special. That's true with anything. And see, God helps you do that. God helps you see it's a gift, but it's not the point. If you live for it, it'll ruin you. Uh It's so good what he's saying here. You make it holy. That means, let's see if I can word that this this way for you because this is how I wrote it down. It's not sinful to have it. It doesn't make you sinful when you take it in. You make it holy when you take it in because you've done it the right way. Do you see that? You've made fudge holy. Bacon. Bacon can be holy, when you thank God for it, you know it's a gift, you don't make it the point of your life, and anyone knows how easy it is to make bacon the point of life. (laughs) But because I have a prayer life, and because I know God's Word, I know that the thing I like is not the point. First, uh, actually, Titus 1.5 says this, you'll love this, to the pure... All things are pure. You purify things. God has so recreated you when he redeemed you and made you pure that you purify things when you touch them, not they make you impure when you touch them. That's a profound statement. What that means is because God has made me pure, I seek pure things. I seek the purity out of the pleasures I'm allowed to have. And so they're holy when they come into my life. Because I know they're from him. And I've been changed. I don't make them the point anymore. But he goes on to say in this text, which I didn't bring up in this. But to the defiled and the unbelieving, nothing's pure. Nothing is pure to people who don't know God. Everything that they like is a problem. Because they don't know how to filter it. They don't know know who to thank. They have nobody to thank for it. And so the gift becomes ultimate. And if you do that, you'll ruin your life. And so one writer said this, We dishonor God as much by fearing and avoiding pleasure as we do by dependence upon it or living for it. All right, now let me see if I can help you with a couple things. It's about Genesis 2. I'm not going to go to the text. I have it, but you know it. Genesis 2, where God says to Adam and Eve, you can literally eat from every single tree in this garden. Just don't eat that one. That's God overwhelmingly saying, I have created a smorgasbord of pleasures for you to enjoy. I created marriage for you two naked people in the garden to run around having. And I... Cr- and i and i created all the trees you could possibly eat from i just don't want you to eat from that one but we get warped and we want that thing that we shouldn't have meanwhile we have all these we've got a treasure stores of pleasures that god has provided we ignored them we do it today So we either don't enjoy the ones that God said we can or we seek the one that ruins us. And when you get too much of any of these things, you get too much, that they'll dull your senses and your desires and longings will get really distorted and they won't go spiritual. They won't naturally go toward God anymore. Uh, I'm having, I was having uh, my quiet time this week has been in 2 Corinthians 5, kind of alternate between First New Testament and Old Testament. I've been in uh, 2 Corinthians. And 2 Corinthians 5 fits along with this. In fact, I'll probably conclude this series with a talk from there. But uh, I, later in the day, was so moved by what was said, I, I grabbed a commentary when I got back to explain something to me. And uh, one of the writers said this Glutted glutted on the second rate happiness of this world we are too full to hunger after god and if the pleasures you seek dull your heart toward god that's going to be a problem because on the other side of that coin he says moreover we lack the spiritual exercise needed to make us hungry again not only are we glutted but we haven't welcomed the legitimate pain and so we don't have a desire for god We don't have the ability to serve them. And so pain and pleasure, again, messed up how we do life. Spiritually, we're just a mess. So in The Weight of Glory, the essay by C.S. Lewis, one of the most profound things ever written, I'm convinced, uh, talks about our tendency to pursue uh, unhealthy pleasures. And he writes, uh, it would seem... He says we're half-hearted creatures, half-hearted. When we desire things we shouldn't, C.S. Lewis considers us half-hearted. And he writes this, uh, the Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Can you imagine standing in the garden and that's the tree you want and not all these trees? God would say, you're not desiring enough. I got, enough, I got. I got a lot more out here. You're a half-hearted creature. That's a profound statement. And he says, we fool around, half-hearted creatures, fool around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. And then he says this, we're far too easily pleased. Oh, my goodness. That's just remarkable. Adam and Eve settled. They settled. So John Piper says, sin is what you do when your heart is not satisfied with God. God's given you all these pleasures, Adam and Eve, but you're not satisfied with that you want more and you don't know more is going to kill you that's true that's really true of americans we do not know that more is going to kill us so we constantly want it so what this is saying is spiritually i, I ought to be i ought to i ought to have strong desires for things that god really has given us to enjoy me to enjoy for what god provides and what he intends. And in fact, it's dangerous if you don't. It's very dangerous to live without welcoming legitimate pain in your life. Very spiritually dangerous. You're a walking time bomb. But the same is true if you don't welcome, receive, and celebrate legitimate pleasures. You're equally vulnerable. So Dallas Willard says this, failure to attain and enjoy a deeply enjoyable life always has the effect of making sinful actions seem good. Do you hear that? You can live on this for like the next month spiritually. Here lies the strength of temptation. Normally, our success in overcoming temptation, he writes, will be easier if we are basically enjoying our lives. To cut off the joys and pleasures associated with our bodily and social existence as unspiritual then can actually have the effect of weakening us in our efforts to do what is right. And listen to this last line. It makes it impossible for us to see and draw strength from the goodness of rightness. If you can grasp what he's saying here. It'll change your spiritual life. Can I come to the place in my life where I draw strength from from? The good things that God has provided me, so that when the evil thing comes along, I'm not so desperate for it. Because I have learned to enjoy what God has given me, I'm not so easily enticed by the things He's told me not to. It should have been technically easy for Adam and Eve to to have all these trees, and the one tree gets their attention. Had they been enjoying all the other trees, they might not have ever noticed that tree in the middle. Why is it you and I notice every stinking evil tree? Is it because we're not enjoying the trees God has given us? Enough? founder of DTS in the mid-19th century, uh, uh, Chafer, Lewis Berry Chafer, wrote a book called He That Is Spiritual. I remember getting that book. I remember reading it. Um, he writes this, spirituality, the character, one of the characteristics of spirituality is that it supersedes lesser desires and issues. This is another profound spiritual truth you can live on for a month. The biblical as well as practical cure for worldliness among Christians is to fill their heart and life with the eternal blessings of God that there will be a joyous preoccupation and absent-mindedness to unspiritual things. How great would it be if you enjoyed what God has provided you so much that you thought less about the wrong thing? That kind of thing I just didn 't even think about it. you know how many things in your life that you just don 't think about? What if some of the sins we commit started becoming getting into that category i don 't even think about it because I have so many other great things God has given me that i don 't think about that that 's what Schaeffer's trying to say, so Ecclesiastes is a book. Let me show you this. Um, It's about, the book's about pursuing pleasure wrongly, making pleasure an end in itself. But along the way, he gives these little bites of wisdom about how to enjoy life. Because these are people who, uh, you know, Solomon himself, who have just taken all the pleasures too far and made them an end in themselves. So what what does he say to the guy Man, you can't, make, you can't make pleasure everything. You can't make money everything. You can't make all the stuff, wisdom, you know, knowledge, all that stuff. Here's what he writes. There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment at all? This is just overwhelming. Eat and drink in the book of Ecclesiastes is actually a technical phrase. It doesn't just mean eating and drinking. It has become a phrase that means contentment and satisfaction in life. What does it mean to eat and drink? To find satisfaction and contentment in life. And so that's what it means. It has a literal flavor too, but it also means just finding contentment because th- that's what happens when you eat and drink, and, and finds enjoyment. There's, it's almost as if they're equivalent. In his toil, life's hard. It's nice to come home at the end of the day and be in your home and have a meal and celebrate what God has done for you. I, mean, I, mean, I would imagine we haven't celebrated a meal. I would imagine we haven't celebrated electricity uh, like this week in a long time. How great is electricity? <laughs> Stinking Great. But we come home, we live our lives hustling, worried about the next thing, and and, and vulnerable to every good thing that comes to mind because we're so oversaturated with good things. And we're just looking for the next great thing that we don't even recognize certain things as gifts from God, let alone enjoy them and celebrate them in a way that would give me strength to not seek the temptation that's around the corner to get me to go further than I ought to go. You can't even enjoy it. You know why? Because you'll make it everything. You know why you can't do that? You know why you'll make your job and you'll make your money and you'll make everything about life the important thing? And if you do that, you'll never really find joy. You need the giver to find joy, not the gift. So whatever the pain that you're welcoming or the pleasure that you're celebrating have to lead you to him. And if they do, they won't go farther than they need to go. Both of those can go too far. He's not done. For the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, because that's what I want to do. That's that's where my ultimate pleasure comes from pleasing him and enjoying the pleasures he's given me. Uh, But the sinner, the one who doesn't know God, you know what God has given that guy? The business, which is a key term in Ecclesiastes, because that's just life. That's toil, business, to to get up every day, same, drudgery, life without God. That's what it's like. All he does is gather and collect. He just keeps getting more and more and more, taking in more and more and more, more pleasure, more wisdom, more this, more that. And it just overwhelms him, and there's no joy in it at the end of the day because there's nothing past it, and you're never satiated. You're never satisfied. It's vanity and striving after the wind wear yourself out. It's profound. Just it's profound. Watch this. Everyone also to whom God has given, this is another text in Ecclesiastes 5. Whoever one, uh, everyone else, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is a gift from God. So, you know, you earn income you have things. Do you enjoy them? You know, a lot of people don't enjoy. They just have, but they don't enjoy. We all have different amounts. So when it says wealth in here, if you're Solomon, that's one kind of wealth. But some people in here probably have a hard time enjoying money. Like money gives me no joy. It stresses me at every level. The only pure pure thing I ever do with money is give it away. All the rest of the things stress me. It stresses me to save it, stresses me to spend it, stresses me to make it. Doesn't that stress you? All three of those stress you? Giving is like the only way it just completely releases me from all of its ties and stress. But I shouldn't be living that way. Should be able to enjoy some of what you have, whatever it is. Not be afraid. To do something. You can't go crazy. You can't make wealth everything. If you do, you'd be miserable. But some of us can't enjoy anything. Look at what he says. This is amazing. For he will not much remember the days of his life, this guy who's toiling all day, because God keeps him occupied. This is a great verse to memorize. God keeps him occupied with the joy in his heart. How great would it be if I was enjoying what God has given me to enjoy in a way that I, that I didn't I was so occupied with the things that he has allowed me to do and enjoy that I didn't think about the things he's not allowed me to enjoy. I would like to be so preoccupied with God's blessings that you're not worried about what he hadn't given you and what you're not allowed to have. You, You could pray about that all month. You know, there's this, let me give you another one because I, I want to come back around to one that I was talking about a little bit earlier because we talked about food. You know, you got you to gotta watch what you eat. You do to some degree, but you're also allowed to have everything. How do you keep those in tension? Uh, or other pleasures, like let's look at 1 Corinthians 7. In 1 Corinthians 7, that group of people that came in and said, oh, more the spiritual people uh, don't get married, and if you are married, you stop having sex because you'll be more spiritual if you do that. And this is what Paul says to them. Do not deprive one another. Paul says, uh uh, that's not right. Except perhaps by agreement for a limited time 10 minutes or so. Like 10 minutes. Okay? I love that it's a short time. Don't try to make that a long time. That you may devote yourselves to prayer. Oh, you're going to not have, you're not going to enjoy sexual intimacy? Well, you better be praying. But then, and then there's this this sense in the the text, don't take too long at the prayer. Get back together again, this temporal marker here. Yeah, pray, then get back in there. That is the feel of the text. Paul's like, you pray a little while and get back in there. So that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Here's our unwillingness to welcome legitimate pain, but here's Paul saying, because you don't enjoy that pleasure, you're more vulnerable. There's a principle here for your spiritual life. You never enjoy anything. Some of us are like that, truly. And some of us could be enjoying things we're not. I mean, this right here, you could be enjoying This is. I think about marriages. I deal with marriages all the time. And I think about how vulnerable we are to sexual temptation. But I wonder how, how, how good are we at marriage so that sexual intimacy within it is healthy enough, keeps me preoccupied from worried about every th- temptation which which are everywhere. You know, some of you could have a whole lot better sexual life if you were nicer. Huh? If you were just better at marriage. Talk about that in a second. So... C.S. Lewis, in Screwtape Letters, remember the, you know, the, like the demon professor, if you will. Uh, he's teaching his nephew, whose name is Wormwood, how to be a better demon. Uh, and he says to uh, Wormwood, uh, Wormwood's working on this guy trying to keep him from becoming a Christian. And the guy that he's working on has found some joy in reading a book and taking a nice walk. And he's found some joy in that. And Screwtape says, you can't let him enjoy a good book, and you can't let him enjoy a good walk. And here's what he writes. So he's chiding this demon over this. He says, in other words, you allowed him two real positive or legitimate pleasures. Were you so ignorant as to see the de- not to see the danger in that? If he enjoys the things that God wants him to enjoy, he's going to be less likely to enjoy the things he shouldn't. In fact, on another occasion, Screwtape will say this. When we're dealing with pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are always on God's ground or the enemy's ground. We've won many a soul through pleasure, he says. All the same, it's his invention, not ours. We didn't invent pleasure. He made the pleasures. All our research so far has not enabled us to produce one. That means all the illegitimate pleasures. Satan has just distorted the ones God has given you. And we've said we just want more because we don't know it's going to ruin us. Now, let me apply this for you. Here's what I would do if we're thinking about this. You say, what do I do with that information? Here's the first thing I would do. I did it this week. You'll enjoy this. Make a list of things you really uh, enjoy, legitimately healthy pleasures, things you love. So I I made a list of those things. It was kind of fun. I jokingly put electricity and water on there because they're cool things. They're really cool stuff. Uh, The other thing is a good book. Like I love finding a good book and reading it. My, 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 I can start a book and know, okay, this is going to be great. And when I feel that feeling great, I got a box that I keep, you know, that the book, I knew the book wasn't going to cut it. It's in there. But when I find one I love, ooh, I just don't know how to, it's unspeakable joy. Okay. Uh, Coffee in the morning. Coffee in the morning gives me unspeakable joy. For people who don't drink coffee. I just have no, I, I, I don't know how you do it. I just don't know how you do life. But there's nothing like a great cup of coffee in the morning. Uh, being with friends, being with, being with good friends, spending an evening or a day or whatever with good friends. There's nothing like that. Uh, working out for me, tremendous amount of joy. I have tremendous amount of joy in that. So I do it because I love it. A great meal with bread. <laughs> yeah, I don't always had bread, but when I can't have bread, woo, man, is it great. Um, let's see. Um, if you're married, sexual intimacy, physical intimacy. If you're single, jogging. It's jogging. <laughs> you really can enjoy jogging. Now, I will say to singles, You know what I mean by quality friendships. You probably have some great friendships. They're not sexual, but they're quality, and you wouldn't know what in the world to do in your life without those relationships. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, How about watching a movie? Just watching a good movie. There's not a lot of good ones out there, but when you get one, it's really cool to watch a good story. Music, love music. I love music. Uh, I, I was invited to some of my friends who will now and then get together with their guitars. they have got a group of guys who can really play the guitars and they can literally play anything. Classic rock. They don't need paper. They don't need, they can just play it all. And we'll sit in a circle in the fire. And uh, Monday night, we've been invited and we're gonna sit in a circle and we're just gonna sing classic rock songs with some really good guitarists around the deal. How fun is that? I can do that for six straight hours. I love doing that. That's going to be a blast. So, those are the kind of things. What are those for you? And I have a lot of spiritual things that I really love. I, I wanted to put them on the list so bad, but I didn't want to cloud your mind. I wanted you to know that there are, um, there are uh, f- physical, just real life, everyday things that God blesses you with that you can enjoy, and You should. Some people can't get away. They can't take a break. They work all the time. And so resting or taking a break, your spouse wants to take a little bit of a vacation and you can't do it. And you're not allowing yourself to enjoy rest, which God has given. That's really hard. You're vulnerable. Second thing I would do after I'd made this list is I'd say, what pleasures am I not enjoying that I could be? You're just not putting in the effort, sort of like marriage. Our, you know, marriage, marriage has so many wonderful things to it. But if you don't put the effort in, you never learn them. And I feel sorry for any couple that has to live together, that isn't working hard t- to reap the benefits of marriage. And if you're not, then sexual intimacy, you don't get to enjoy it the way you should. And so we're all vulnerable to the slightest thing. Because we're not even enjoying what God's given us to enjoy. And some of us are in... Would would have some pleasure just invested way too much in. We've just taken it too far. It could be anything. Desserts to dollars. We've just gone too far. And we need to we need to figure out how to step back from that. To enjoy them without making them an end in themselves. Feeling like I'm gonna die if I don't have it. Christ gives you the ability to welcome legitimate pain and to receive pleasures without taking them too far. And without him, you can't do it. And you don't, it's, the text said in 1 Timothy, this is a thought I had, this is just, so this is free, parenthetical, just a thought I had. God says, every, everything I've created that you pursue as a believer, as a pure believer, transformed believer, it's going to be pure for you. But I thought to myself, does that mean I need to pursue every great thing? No, because there's a lot of things I don't like that you like, and, you, and I like things that you don't. Like, I'm not a wine or a smoker. I don't like any alcohol or smoke. It's not making me more spiritual. It's just, I don't like it. I can be around it, you can have it, I can be with you, great, we can talk about it, but it doesn't do a thing for me, it's nowhere on my radar screen. But it is something for people to enjoy, and a lot of my friends do. And I have good friends who don't take it too far. And that's one you really can take too far. I have friends who love beer, love to taste it. They'll travel around the country to, to, you know, check out breweries, but they don't take it too far. Terrific. That's your flavor. That's not my thing. I have friends who want me to smoke a cigar with them. They love a cigar. Like you don't love coffee, maybe. I don't want to smoke a cigar. Just don't want to do it. um. So we're just all different. You don't have to like, I don't have to like what you like. You don't have to like what I like. And we don't have to make each other feel bad. Because you eat dessert and I don't. You know what it's like to sit around with people who don't eat dessert when you do? It's like, come on, dude, just stick this in your mouth. I get more dessert jammed in my mouth because somebody feels bad about having dessert around me. Okay, listen, I have two rules in my life. I don't want to take in calories from a liquid. I don't want to waste calories from a liquid, and I don't want to waste them from a sweet. They're not my favorite thing. But you put a chip around me, and I, you gotta, you got to tie my hands, baby. All right, got to tie me up. Uh, meat. Meat what I need. Um, it's funny, we had some, we had a, speaking of that, uh, the, the wine thing, we had some, seven couples over last week, so seven young couples uh, from our mops, ministry, over to our house once a year. Gail has them over for this Valentine's dinner, we do a little romantic kind of a deal, and everybody has to bring a bag of their life, you know, with their, little things that uh, sort of trigger how they met. Pull those out of the bag and tell your story. So we've done this for a number of years now. And we had seven couples over. And on the way there, so one, one couple went to the wrong house. There were two houses down from us. And she knows, Gail, I've never met either one of this couple, but they walked, they, they walked right into this home. <laughs> and, and there was a party going on, big time party. He's a cop. So, and he deals with, you know, DWIs and driving intoxication. So he smelled booze the moment he walked in. Booze was just filled the atmosphere. And they were playing, get your freak on, really loud. Get your freak on, really loud. And, and he, he says, he's never met either one of them. He goes, this is your pastor's half? so that wouldn't be my house. That might be your house. That might be the thing you're into. It's not, it's not mine. All right, and uh, finally, the last thing I would say to do, this is something you really ought to do, and I, I know it'll, be a, it, it'll slip your mind if you're not careful, but you really ought to do it. Pray to God. Pray when you pray. You say, I always I never know really what to pray for. My goodness, there's so many things to pray for uh, from what you heard today. This is the, this is the one. Give me longings for legitimate pleasures. Lord, I'm tired. Tell them. I'm tired of wanting things that just ruin me. Aren't you? I'm tired of it. Give me longings for things you have given me. Give me a distaste for those illegitimate things that have haunted me all my life. Pray it. Pray it regularly. It'll make you. Do you realize what spiritual life you'll have to have to orient your life around that? You'll have to recognize every good thing as from God and say to yourself, I don't have to take this too far because I already found the ultimate thing. These are just great gifts. Psalm 1611, "You, you you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. See, pleasures lead you to God. If your desires and your longings point to him, in fact, all your desires and longings point to the ultimate desire that you have for God and only he can meet the ultimate need of your heart. And you'll never be satisfied until you make him ultimate. And it's possible your life's a mess because you've done the opposite. Deal with that today. Now bow your heads, I want to say a simple prayer and close this out. Just a simple prayer. And here, here it is. God, our prayer is that your goodness becomes so real to us as we celebrate and enjoy and pursue the gifts that come from your hands, resulting in sinful pleasures becoming less and less appealing. Pray that. In Jesus' name.